Good morning. Continuing in the series in Hebrews chapter 11, we come to the point now where in this chapter, the author speeds up even more than he has by mentioning names. And he begins to mention a few things that happened. In verse 33 of Hebrews chapter 11, he says, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what he's talking about in some of those places, uh, but in a couple of them, I think we're pretty sure. So today, we are going to take the mouths of lions before the quenching of the fire, and we are going to jump back to Daniel chapter 6. So I want you to open your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6, to one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. Let me kind of set the stage for you, though, before we dive into the chapter and we look through it all. Here's one of the things I want you to catch. In Daniel, you have, from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6, you've got the narrative portions of Daniel before it moves into the prophecy portions of Daniel. And what you'll see as you study this is that you'll find that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their, their Babylonian names, were faithful when they came in chapter 1 at about age 15. And now we're jumping to the very end of Daniel chapter 6 where Daniel is over 80. Some would estimate that he's 85 years old. He's at the end of his life. And at the end of his life, he is still being faithful to God. So if we had time to walk through all six of these narrative chapters in Daniel, I would say to you and I would encourage you to look there and see the life of people who were faithful at age 15 and who are still faithful at age 80. And what I want to say to you is you can be faithful now and you can be faithful for the rest of your life until you reach age 80. And what I want to say to some of our faculty and staff members is he's at 80 years old and he's still going. I see no retirement anywhere in this chapter, especially to the good ones, right? No retirement anywhere in this chapter from God's service. You can retire from some other things, but not God's service. That's nowhere in the scriptures. We can talk about that more later. I've got a couple of quotes for you just to set the stage since we know he's a little over 80. Here's the first one. Men do not quit playing because they grow old. They grow old because they quit playing. It's from Oliver Wendell Holmes. Here's another one. Man is not old until regrets take the place of dreams. John Barrymore. Here's another one. Age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Mark Twain. I've got a list of a few people, not to show you on the screens per se, but to talk to you about people who accomplish great things in life. And as you are starting out, many of you on the beginning of your life's journey, as you're going to graduate, you're going to go off, you're going to do great things for God. I want you to know that that doesn't end at age 65, because again, retirement is nowhere found in the scriptures. Colonel Sanders was 65 years old when he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. Hmm. Grandma Moses began painting at the age of 75. Ben Franklin was elected to the Continental Congress at age 69. At 70, he signed the Declaration of Independence, making him the oldest signer. When he was 77 years old, he negotiated the Treaty of Paris, which put an end to the Revolutionary War. And at 81, he signed the U.S. Constitution. John Wesley was still preaching at age 88. He traveled a quarter of a million miles and preached over 4,000 sermons in his lifetime. Michelangelo, at 89, painted the last judgment in the Sistine Chapel. Edison was still inventing at age 90, and J.C. Penney was still at his desk working at age 95. 
So here as we encounter Daniel, a little over 80 years old, and we see where he's going on, take note from that initial fact that we never grow too old to continue being in service to God. As long as he has us here on this earth, he has continued purpose for us, and we need to be continuing in his purposes and in his ministry. Daniel chapter 6. If you are able today, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Verse 1, it says this, Please Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Dear Lord, as we look at your word today, we pray that we would be challenged. We pray that our faith would be encouraged. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, and that Jesus would be exalted and lifted high. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What you're going to find in this narrative section is that these first nine verses, we see that there's a plot that has developed against Daniel. And I don't have time this morning to go into all the details of who Darius may have been, uh, but there's some great history there if you want to dive into that and study it. The setting for this scene, though, is that he set over 120 satraps throughout the whole kingdom, and then he set up three presidents, and Daniel was one of the three presidents. After he set up these three presidents, Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents so that he was going to put him as the one president to whom all the others reported. Now, you understand what's happening here. If you have three people who are equal in reporting and all of a sudden one becomes elevated above those, then the other two, even if their title never changed, just got a demotion. How many of you are excited about receiving a demotion? Nobody, right? And so here, as he is distinguished above all the other presidents, it says it was because there was an excellent spirit in him. Now, we could take time, if we had time, and talk about what that means to have an excellent spirit within you. Some people, when they grow old, they just grow grumpy. Uh, they just get mean. Uh, they just get violent. They, they just say things that are out of place, and people apologize for them. And we even make movies about them, grumpy old men, and apparently they get grumpier, so you make grumpier old men too. But here it talks about Daniel in the later portion of his life, there was an excellent spirit within him. So he was then distinguished above the others. So in verse four, we see that they got together and they wanted to find ground for complaint with regard to Daniel. But here it's important to note that when they look, it tells us they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. There's two different items mentioned here. It says because he was faithful and also that there was no error or fault that was found in him. Now notice there what it's saying. It's saying they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful. What it means when it says he was faithful is he was faithful to do every task that was assigned to him to do. Now, if you have a job or if you've had an internship, there's always some portion of your job that you don't really like to do. There's some aspect of the job that you really just don't want to do, whether it's filling out forms or whether it's doing evaluations or whether it's some different aspect of what's going on, you just don't enjoy it. What's our tendency on the portion of our job that we don't want to do? We don't do it as well. 
So here what it's saying is they could find no fault in him because he was faithful to do what he was supposed to do. And also the things that he did, it says he did them without error. He was a faithful worker. He was a faithful steward. He was good at doing the things he was supposed to do, even if he didn't like them. And whatever he did, he did it without error. And so there could find no complaint or any fault. It says he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. So these men say in verse five, what we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. There's two things I want you to catch in this first section as we've looked at this. As these men begin to dive into Daniel's life, they understand that Daniel's religious convictions were evident to all. Nobody was wondering, is Daniel really a believer or is Daniel not a believer? It was evident that Daniel was a believer. And I want to say to you, as you go into your places of business and as you work and as you go into careers, whether that's teaching in a public school or whether that's serving as a nurse or whether that's teaching history or whatever the case may be, whatever God has called you to do, that if you operate with a Christian worldview, if you love others as we have been called to love others, it should be noticeable that you are different. They should say there's an excellent spirit about this person. People shouldn't question where you stand or who you are, but they should understand that you are a person of religious conviction. That should be noticeable. We shouldn't hide our light so well under a bushel that nobody knows that we're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. The second thing that they noticed here is that Daniel was not going to compromise. Even in the face of death or punishment or persecution, he would not compromise. And so it's said about him in verse 5, we shall not find, find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. I really wish that could be said of every last one of us in this room, don't you? Never going to find a complaint unless it's in connection with the law of their God. But think about it. Realistically, if somebody wanted to bring you down, what would they utilize to bring you down? There are several different things that come to mind. I've got a list for you here on the screen. If somebody wanted to bring you down or in society or in politics or in the secular world, what would they typically use to bring somebody down? The promise of large sums of money, we'll buy you out, we'll pay you off, we'll bribe you. If you'll do this, we'll give you a lot of money. Would that be tempting to you? What about the promise of power? We'll put you in a position and it will have great power. And perhaps they could have come to Daniel and they could have said, Daniel, you're distinguished above everybody but Darius. And so we're going to all come behind you and, and we're going to have this plot for you to take over only to expose Daniel as trying to go against Darius. They could have tried to bring him down in that way. But when they saw Daniel's life, they realized that's not going to work with Daniel. Daniel is a man of faith, a man who is only going to be brought down according to the laws of his God. What about a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction, a gambling addiction, some other addiction? We see these all throughout society as these addictions bring people down, as these addictions affect people and destroy them in their careers and in their life. What about a sexual temptation? You know, it was said of Billy Graham that he never traveled alone and that he would never be alone in another room with somebody of the opposite sex because there were always people trying to bring him down that they would send people just to try to provide temptation for him so that he would fall. And I would say to you, please be careful in your life to avoid temptations. May it be said of all of us that if they want to bring us down, the only way to bring us down is in connection with the law of our God. Verse six, these presidents 
and satraps came by agreement to the king, it says. And they said to the king, oh, Darius, live forever. You see the great greeting there, the customary greeting. Verse 7, it says, all, and notice the word all, of the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors agreed, and that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days except to the king should be cast into a den of lions. Now think about what's happening here. They come to the king and they say to the king, oh king, you're so wise, you're so powerful, you're so great, you're so perfect, you've got everything going for you, you are the perfect person. Nobody should be able to pray to anybody else for 30 days except to you, oh king. Now, first of all, if you can make yourself God, but only for 30 days, there's a theological problem in there somewhere. I'm not quite sure how it fleshes out, but it's in there somewhere. But what I want to say to you is that here we see them giving him flattery. And through that flattery that they're bringing to him, look what happens in verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Here we see it. The king fell to flattery. It says in that verse that all of the presidents and the satraps came. We know that not all of them came because Daniel surely wasn't present and Daniel surely did not endorse this and would not have stood for this. And so we know that they're exaggerating the truth. They're lying. They're pushing a little too far. They're building up the king. And so I would say to you by way of application this morning, If you're in a job or you're in a position and somebody comes up and they start flattering you with all of these great accolades about things that you do so well and how brilliant you are and how great a leader you are and how perfect you are and all these type things, what's the first question that should pop into your mind? What do they want? It's right there. What do you want? I would also say to you, ladies, if some guy comes up to you and he starts saying things like, You are the most beautiful girl that has ever existed in the history of the world. You are flawless. Your skin is of utter perfection. Your neck adorns such beauty as though we have never seen in the history of the universe. And your eyes contain the windows to the most majestic soul that has ever walked upon this trodden earth. What should you say? I'll let you figure it out. Either he's really smooth or he's really crazy or he's really weird or he wants to get something from you. Now, let me say this to you, ladies and guys. If a guy comes up to you and he tells you a bunch of things just because he wants something from you and he tries to get something from you and he says he's not going to love you unless he gets it, he doesn't love you anyway, so kick him to the curb as soon as you can. And guys, if you mistreat our girls around here... We, we, we need to talk. We'll lay some hands on without prayer, all right? <laughs> now, let me flip it. Girls, if you're a guy and some girl walks up to you, <laughs> and when she walks up to you, she says to you, wow. I've never seen such perfect biceps in the history of mankind. I'm not going to take that nearly as far, all right? But you get the point. 
If a girl comes up to you with flattery over the top and you understand exactly who you are, you look in the mirror every morning. You know how bright and intelligent you really are. You understand these things. The first question that should pop into our mind when flattery of this nature comes, whether it's in leadership, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in any of this, is what do you want? Not in a cynical way, but in a wise way. Because people are going to act in ways just like we see here in Scripture. And I'm going to tell you this, that first date, you're going to put your best foot forward and you have no clue who you're going out with on that first date because that's the absolute best they can get, right? So if you don't like them on the first date, you might as well not go out on a second date because it all goes downhill from there, right? (laughs) Till you get married. And once you get married, it's all uphill from there because I have the perfect wife. (laughs) I'm just saying Here's my second application for you, all right? I'm gonna move on from that application. I'm gonna make a second one. Good leadership, good parenting, good supervision requires good rules. Now, most of you are not parents yet. But when you become a parent, one of the things you're gonna learn very quickly is that good rules that are enforceable rules are important. And what we see here is that Darius hasn't thought through this. Darius signs a document that cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians because somebody flattered him and he came out with a really bad rule. Now, every time I read this passage, I start thinking back in my mind to the ultimate bad parenting mistake that I made in my life. It may not be the worst one I made, but it's the one that sticks out in my mind as just being the most foolish that I've ever done. We were sitting at the table and my wife had gone to the, to the work to prepare a nice meal for us and she had put food out on the table and my daughter was there and she didn't want to try, I think it was a green bean at the time or something, and she didn't want to try it at all. And there I am sitting at the table as the father in charge of the table, right? And I look at my daughter and I say to my daughter, you will taste this and we will sit here at the table until you do. I didn't think that went through. Four hours later, <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night and two and a half, an hour and a half past her bedtime, we are still sitting at the table. She is crying. I felt like crying. <laughs> but at that point, you made the deal, right? You're the parent. You laid down the law. You said, this is it. If you give in there, then you're going to give the impression you can give in if they keep pushing you. Eventually, they will win you over. And so it was it. It was do or die. I mean, it was the Alamo. I had drawn the line in the sand and I would die at that table before I moved. (laughs) I realized that night, never, ever, ever again will I say, you're going to try this before we leave this table. I can come up with some other consequences much easier and much wiser and much better than the consequence I came up with that night because it punished me too. Foolishness, right? And our rules. And so as you are leading, and as we see here in this, this is not a wise rule to be set up. As you are leading, set up good rules, set up good enforceable rules that can be maintained across all of the different areas. So leadership, parenting, supervision, don't do what he did here when he saw flattery and made a bad rule and got caught. The trap has now been set. We see here in the second section after the setting, the trap and the reluctant punishment that takes place in verses 10 through 18. Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Notice that. He wasn't, he wasn't wondering. He knew it had been signed. And what did he do? 
he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Notice what Daniel does here. He's about to die. He's about to get in trouble. What does Daniel do? Daniel goes up to the top. He doesn't hide. He goes right up there and he prays and it says he prayed toward Jerusalem. Now, why would he pray toward Jerusalem? Well, perhaps it has something to do with 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 35 through 40, where in Solomon's prayer of dedication over the temple, he said, when your people sin against you, God, and they will, and when you take them and you put them in a captivity, and that will happen, may they turn and pray toward this place, and may they pray that you would forgive them and that you would have mercy on them, and then, Lord, may you restore them. And Daniel is over 80 years old, and I have to believe in some way that Daniel from 15 to over 80 had been praying a prayer toward Jerusalem. Lord, will you forgive our people? Will you take away this captivity? Will you heal our people and give us grace and mercy? And what I want to say to some of you with lost parents and lost relatives and loved ones that you are concerned about, that you have been praying for, don't ever stop praying for those people. Faithfulness. 70 years of faithful prayer. Over and over and over again. It says he prayed three times a day. We don't know why, but Psalms 55, 17 says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Think about what just happened here though. We get the Cliff Notes version. We get the fly-through version on the narrative. Daniel knows the document has been signed. If we brought this into modern day times and we knew a document had been signed of this nature, what would we do? What could he have done? I couldn't hear you. Here's what he could have done. I'm going prayer walking around the city with my eyes open. You ever pray with your eyes open? I hope you do if you're in a car, especially. If you pray with your eyes closed in the car, give me warning because I want to stay away from you, all right? He could have said, I'm going to pray with my eyes open, walking around and change the way I do this. I'm still praying, but I'm going to do it in a different way. But what he had understand here is this was not so much about his prayer time as it was the fact that they had set up a law of the Medes and the Persians that conflicted with the law of God and he had a choice to make and he chose to do what he had always done because God was providing an opportunity here and he was going to be faithful to God. So he went right back to his spot and he did exactly what he had done historically. He could have decided, let's get a closet. I'll open up the closet. I'll close the door to the closet. I'll pray in my closet. Nobody will have proof of what I'm doing. He could have decided in modern times, if it were me, I'm going to go out on a deer hunting expedition for the next 30 days and I will pray in my deer stand and I will have a good time in the woods being away from all of this type stuff. They'll never be able to know where I am. They'll never have the proof of what's going on. He could have done something like that, but Daniel here doesn't give it a second thought. This is just his natural reflex is to be obedient. He knew the doctor had been signed and he went right to his house up to the upper story where the windows were where it would be cool facing Jerusalem and he got down on his knees and he prayed what happens verse 12 they came near before the king concerning the injunction O king did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days O king shall be cast into the den of lions King answered and he said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and they said to him, Daniel, notice the pejorative way they say it here, who is one of the exiles of Judah. Daniel, one of those people, he pays no attention to you. We know that's exaggerated. He paid attention. 
But they say he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. And in verse 14, the king gets it. The king understands what's happening here. It says, the king, when he heard these words, was in much distress, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king, and they said to the king, No, O king, this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Verse 16, the king commanded. Daniel was brought. He was cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And what a great testimony there of a man who was being faithful in a political service in an area where he was not native, and he was serving in such a way that when he talked to him, he said, may your God, whom you continually serve, deliver you. They brought a stone. They laid the stone at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's that nothing might change concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace. It says he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. The king figured out what was going on. He spent a sleepless night after he had tried to deliver Daniel and he realized that there was no way for him to deliver Daniel. And that night while Daniel was in that lion's den, the king was in his place sleepless. And what we realize and what we learn is that after this, that the king had a much worse night than Daniel had. But the king had no way to know that. And so in my mind, I see it in this next section as we come to it where Daniel is rescued and his accuser's demise occurs. That in verse 19, it says, Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den of lions, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Do you get the scene? Uh, The king, Darius, 62 years old, is what most historians would tell us. He eats all the time because he has the best food. I imagine he's a little rotund, at least in my sanctified spiritual imagination. He's not the most physically fit guy. He's not used to running anywhere. They carry him everywhere. And so if you'll offer me the liberty of having a little sanctified imagination in my own mind, here you have the king that next morning, and the king is more waddling than running as the king kind of waddles down through there, and he gets, and he begins to scream out, oh, Daniel, and it says it's an anguish. You can hear the anguish in his voice. Daniel! Daniel, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you? And you see him waddle on towards it. And what do we find? Oh, do you see the other scene? It took Daniel, old man, 80-something years old, and they threw him down into a den of lions. And by the best historical research we can tell, they probably put these lions in a place where it had two different areas so that they could lure them with food to one area so they could clean out the other area. And so it was probably a sloped entry with two different dens, and they would have thrown Daniel down into this this lion's den. And as he landed, I can only imagine in my own mind that as Daniel was there, perhaps he had covered up, perhaps he was praying to God at that moment, Lord, if this is how it ends, then so be it. Take me home. I want to see you. Lord, help me to be faithful to the end. Perhaps one of the lions came over to look at him, and he felt the warm breath of that lion down on his neck may have made the hairs on his neck stand up chills run down his spine perhaps one of those mighty lions let out a roar a roar that would reverberate through every bone and every muscle and every fiber of his being 
as he sat there and nothing happened. Perhaps he uncoiled a little bit and began to look at the lions and he noticed the lions weren't coming. They weren't coming to eat him. They weren't coming to play with him. They weren't even coming to be curious as so to impose a single scratch upon him. And as he began to relax and to look around, perhaps he saw, and we don't know, but perhaps he saw an angel in the room with him or perhaps he saw a Christophany in the Old Testament of of Jesus there with him. And as he looked up, perhaps... The angel might have said to him, hey, Daniel, how you like my little kitties? Aren't they nice? We catch a glimpse of heaven as the cats aren't out to ferociously tear him apart. And you all have seen the painting where Daniel stares out towards the window and looks up toward heaven with his arms behind his back as the cats are behind him waiting to ferociously devour him. And what we learn at this moment in time is that the lion of the tribe of Judah is greater than any animal on this earth. And he controls all of these animals and he understands all of his creatures and he understands Daniel and where Daniel is. And he says in this moment and in this time, I am there and I will rescue you. Now God makes no promise that he will always rescue The hallways of history have martyrs who testify to the fact that sometimes we do, in fact, give our lives. But in this particular occasion, Daniel is there. And when those lions roar, they do nothing more than bark out loud to him. And the king comes and the king cries out. And Daniel, look at how he responds to him. And I have to think Daniel has a smirk on his face when he responds back. And he says, oh, king, live forever. He gives that standard greeting. Verse 22 He says to him, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me. Daniel, whose name means God is our judge, was found faithful. He was found blameless. And it tells us he was found blameless because he had trusted in God there in verse 23. It says he was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be brought up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king commanded. Those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and they were cast into the lion's den. Now, why is it that this story doesn't end with one of those happily ever after moments? Instead, they bring the accusers and they throw the accusers in. And as the accusers are thrown in, it says, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones to pieces. Now, I don't know for sure, but here's my hypothesis as to why that portion is there in the text of Scripture. I think that the Holy Spirit inspiring the writers knew that one day there would come along some German theologians who would question the authenticity and the inerrancy of every portion of Scripture. And I think he knew that somebody would come along and say that, see here, the king was going to drug them. The king was trying to deliver Daniel. And since the king was trying to deliver Daniel, he could have fed these lions a whole bunch of food. He could have drugged these lions. He could have knocked them out. There's another explanation other than the fact that God was able to close the mouths of the lions. And so here they throw in those who maliciously accused, and we see that these lions were not drugged. These lions were not full. These lions were not lame. These lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. What we see here is a miracle that testifies to how mighty and how awesome our God is, that when our God wants to, he can step into the lives of anybody and he can solve any problem no matter how bad it looks. 
you know, I think about this and I think about myself. We all want to be the Daniel of the lion's den. But how many of us want to be Daniel the prayer warrior first? You see, the hard work sometimes is the daily prayer more so than it is that one moment when you're challenged in your faith. Here's what happens next. We see Darius' decree in verse 25 through 28 as we close. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. What a testimony he has had on Darius. Look at the theology that comes through as you follow through in verse 26. For he is a living God. He is not an idol. He is not dead. He is a living God. He is enduring forever. He is eternal. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. He is omnipotent. His dominion shall be to the end. Nobody is able to overpower this God. In verse 27, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven because he is transcendent and on earth because he is imminent. That we don't have an error of either one. We have the balance of both and that this God is eternal and all-powerful and transcendent and imminent. And he is on heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You know, perhaps the lion's den was the answer to Daniel's 70 years of prayer. Just perhaps what we see happening in this lion's den is that those 70 years of praying for God to deliver his people, that after 70 years in the lion's den, we know that there comes an edict that allows the Babylonian captivity to end. And not just as that 70 years of faithfulness, but we see Daniel's influence long after that. When 400 years later, when Jesus is born in a manger in Bethlehem, and it says that wise men came from the east, to worship him and to bow down to him. And even beyond that, we see the writer of the book of Hebrews include the closing of the mouth of lions to demonstrate to us this fact. God is faithful and you can trust him. What's the main point of this text? Despite all appearances, God is alive, active, and in control in the lives of individual believers. And I wanna say to you today, God may not always deliver you from the lion's den, He may not always take you out of the fiery furnace, but despite all appearances, don't ever question the fact that God is alive, active, and in control in the lives of individual believers today. Hebrews has shown us over and over and over again, God is faithful. You can trust him. God is faithful. You can trust him. God is faithful. You can trust him. So perhaps when that next tragedy hits your life, perhaps you'll think back on Daniel and you'll question, is this tragedy or this trial the answer to the prayers that I've been praying in one way or another? Because we know as Romans 8.28 says, he works all things together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God is faithful. You can trust him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word. Father, that we can apply it to our lives, that it can increase our faith, that it can challenge us, that we can learn from it. 
God, we thank you for one of the most amazing passages of Scripture anywhere recorded. God, we thank you that you were faithful in the life of Daniel. But God, we thank you that we know that you are active and that you are powerful and that you are still working in the lives of us individual believers all around the globe today. Jesus, we're not worthy of the grace or the mercy you've given us, but we thank you and we praise you for being such an awesome God. We just pray all this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You are dismissed.